Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we are set to take up another topic. And before I do, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you who are taking time out of your busy schedules, wherever you might be tuning into this radio program or podcast. As always, it is a great honor that you are finding time carving out time in what you do each and every day, each and every evening. All right, so again, Special Topic Thursday. You know, Special Topic Thursday is an evening that is tailored to your questions, as you've heard me say before, right? And sometimes an evening that comes out from the conversations I have with you, the listener. Over recent months, I have had numerous conversations about what Bishop Barron has just come to call the Cardinal McCarrick mess. And I have been discerning about what I might talk about here on air because the sexual abuse stemming from a high-ranking prelate, or maybe it's equally worse cover-up, touches each and every one of us in a different way. In other words, because of the nature of the conversation that I am having with you, I wasn't quite sure what would be the best way to tackle this topic as it impacts each one of us in a very personal way. That being said, over recent days, as I have been pondering over some of the things I have been talking about and what others have been sharing with me, I have decided to distill at least a few thoughts and present them to you with the help of the insights of uh, one Bishop Barron and also David Mills. I have a great deal of respect for David Mills. He blogs on the nature of different things. He has a lot of insight. So what I thought I would do for you this evening is just kind of take some of the thoughts out from the conversations I've had with you and then also um, present them to you, or as I present them to you, do so with a few pieces that I've read. I've read a lot, as I'm sure you have too, uh, these pieces coming from Bishop Barron and David Mills. So in a recent article, this is what the admirable Bishop Barron had to say about this Cardinal McCarrick fiasco to hit the church. He says this, when I was going through school, the devil was presented to us as a myth, a literary device, a symbolic manner of signaling the presence of evil in the world. I will admit, Bishop Barron says, and this is interesting, to internalizing this view and largely losing my sense of the devil as a real spiritual person. What shook my agnosticism in regard to the evil one, was the clerical sex abuse scandal of the 90s and the early 2000s. I say this because that awful crisis just seemed too thought through, too well-coordinated to simply be the result of chance or wicked human choice. The devil is characterized as the enemy of the human race, and particularly the enemy of the church. I challenge anyone to come up with a more devastatingly effective strategy for attacking the mystical body of Christ than the abuse of children and young people by priests. This sin had countless direct victims, of course, but it also crippled the church financially, undercut vocations, caused people to lose confidence in Christianity, 
dramatically compromised attempts at evangelization, etc., etc. It was a diabolical masterpiece. My friends, what lies at the core of what Bishop Barron opens up with there? What lies at the core of what Bishop Barron is talking about? How Satan works? Sure. And we will talk about that here in a bit. But if we are going to understand this scandal as we ought and move forward as we should, please consider that the problem in the church lies in human nature itself. The church has a problem because it's made up of human beings. As David Mills reminds us, (laughs) the one thing the Father knows best is his own people. And so he gave us a church that's as people-proof as any human institution can be. In point of fact, my friends, have we not said that God will forever and always know us better than we know ourselves, and he knows us how to protect us better than we know how to protect ourselves? For many of us, we love the insight that God writes straight with crooked lines. I have used it many times myself. We are a crooked bunch And we love to take comfort in the fact that God uses us anyways. And as he does, he kind of straightens us out, right? (laughs) He kind of realigns us back onto that path of holiness. But sometimes, like now, to say that God writes straight with crooked lines comes off as almost out of touch, insensitive, or even in some cases, outright obtuse. Essentially, We feel that these lines are just too crooked to be straightened out. And to use such language is very impersonal. We might say to ourselves, enough is enough. Well, let us hit the pause button there. (laughs) What have I said about the nature of God, and more specifically, the nature of God's love? But that ultimately, enough is never enough until it gives everything, right? Isn't this the greatest definition of love? We define love as to will the good of the other. But what does it mean to will that good? To what length, to what measure will we go to will the good of the other? God looks down upon humankind, who he is so madly in love with, and he says, I will go to the farthest reaches of the cosmos to save man. And what does he do? He bears witness to his own limitless love unconditional love by sending his son into the world and then in turn the son cooperating with the father to the cross the cross the great witness to that enough is never enough until it gives everything recall how we have talked about this before that christ was fully human and fully divine And as he was fully human, it would have been right for him not just to give an ounce of blood, not just to give a little bit here or a little bit there, but if there are five and a half to six quarts of blood in the body, then as a human, Jesus Christ gave, had to give, chose to give (laughs) five and a half to six quarts of human blood. And that's what he did on the cross. He turned it all over. So, if Satan's number one task is to divert us from the path of holiness, then what will he do but parody the very love of God, the very thing that we are talking about? He will lampoon this whole reality 
that God will never give up on us, right? Satan says, as he said in the garden, God isn't really the one that cares for you. Look at what he allowed in the church, the church you grew to trust. Look at what he allowed, not what man did, but what he allowed. Remember, my friends, remember, please, this is so important. What is the most inherent truth to love itself but freedom? Yes, I was just talking about this definition of love, to will the good of the other for the sake of other. And if we're going to imitate that love perfectly, we're going to do it unconditionally, holding nothing back. But where does it come from? It comes from our free will. God will never impose himself upon you or I, A, because he's a true gentleman, and B, because he can't. Because love can't. <laughs> love always comes from within and not from without. It's not so much what God allows in as much as it is what man chooses, you see. Man chooses for or against God. Man has chosen against God. But Satan would have us thinking he's the one that cares. He's the one that is compassionate. He's the one that you want to know what understands you best. So he says, look at what God is allowing, but look what I can do for you. So your faith is tested. And brothers and sisters, it will continue to be tested as more revelations come out, in particular to this latest scandal to hit the church. And it is at times like this where it is really easy to feel that the church isn't who she says she is. David Mills puts it well again. God was there in the garden watching mankind blow the sweetest deal anyone ever got. I love that. God was there as his chosen people chose other gods and fought with each other and split up into two warring nations. He was there as, as the great and good ones of the day murdered his son as our Lord's best friends ran for cover. He's been with this church through all the centuries, including all the times her leaders have failed so badly. My dear friends, what is he saying there? What is at the core? But in the end, God knows every horrible act. He knows every stupid move. He knows every bit of laziness and selfishness and pettiness. He knows every lie, every cheat. Neither any one McCarrick act or any future revelation that surrounds that act or acts go unknown to him or were unknown to him. The one thing the Father knows is people. And I like the way David Mills put it. He gave us a church that's as people-proof as any human institution can be. Because he knew from the beginning what we would need. A place we knew where we could meet Jesus. A place where we could find out what he wants to tell us and how he wants us to live and where we could get his help and aid. And so he created the church. And what did he say to Peter? I will build a church. No, but the church. More specifically, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. He created the patron office, the, the office of Peter, and gives its hold of the grace to guard the church's teaching in unity. He created the priesthood and gives those the church ordains the power to celebrate the sacramental life 
especially the mass, even if they sin. What we need to understand is that God was always, has always, and will always look out for his people from the very beginning to today and into the future. God knew that sometimes our shepherds would fail in their task grossly to guard the church's teaching, leaving us not unified, but scattered. The church has gone through a lot of bad patches in her 2,000-year history, and I would have to agree with Bishop Barron wholeheartedly. You will be hard-pressed to find something worse in its 2,000-year history than what's happening today. There's been a lot of, lot of bad things, but when sexual abuse is involved with priests and young people, it doesn't get much worse. But to the popes who have upheld the church's teaching and unified the church and to, the, and to those bishops and priests who celebrated the sacraments that bring Jesus to his people, we applaud them even louder because we ought to see their heroism for what it is now more than ever before as a true act of courage. The fundamental things, the necessary things, they always work no matter how bad Catholics get. Why? Because this is what Jesus said. I will always be with you. And so he lives with us in the tabernacle and gives himself to us in the Mass. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our Father did not promise that everyone would be saints or even just run-of-the-mill good guys. No, he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, no matter what. He promised he'd be with us to the end of the age, no matter what. He promised to write straight with crooked lines, no matter how incredibly crooked they are. Why? Because for God so loved the world and so deeply knew his people that he gave us the church. And what both David Mills and Bishop Barron remind us of is that what is perhaps most relevant is that he gave us the sacrament of confession. We can't do a whole lot. We could do some, but maybe not as much as we want to, <laughs> to change the culture of the church in America. But what we do control and what we can do something about is ourselves, to change ourselves with God's help. And therefore, together with one another, soul by soul, neighborhood by neighborhood, community by community, city by city, diocese or region by diocese or region, and country by country, change the world, affecting change in the church. I believe it was David Mill's article where he drew from then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, yeah, it was, reflecting on Jesus falling for the third time. Then-Cardinal Ratzinger said, he saw the shame, how much filth there is in the church, and even among those who in the priesthood ought to belong entirely to him. Lord, your church often seems like a boat about to sink, a boat taking in water on every side. In your field, we see more weeds and wheat. The soiled garments and face of your church throw us into confusion. Yet, it is we ourselves who have soiled them. It is we who betray you time and time again. After all of our lofty words and grand gestures, have mercy on your church. Within her too, 
Adam continues to fall. When we fall, we drag you down to earth and Satan laughs for he hopes that you will not be able to rise us from that fall. He hopes that being dragged down in the fall of your church, you will remain prostrate and overpowered, but you will rise again. You stood up, you arose, and you can also raise us up. Save and sanctify your church. Save and sanctify us all. Oh, beautiful. Brothers and sisters, I think what then Colonel Ratzinger is exhorting all of us to is a self-examination. Yes, do we have a right to be angry at what's going on in the church? To some degree, yes. Because we should be angry at sin in so far as it is just. But more specifically, we should be living in that beatitude on mourning. Because when we read the beatitude on mourning, blessed are those who mourn, what we are made to see is that we are blessed when we grieve man's earthly plight. And part of that grieving of man's earthly plight is when from time to time we get angry. A just anger that doesn't lend itself to a lack of faith, but a greater conviction, you see. A greater conviction to pray for those who who need our prayers. And to encourage others to pray for those who need our prayers. And so, we do not allow maybe another person's lack of faith or another person's weakness to dictate our faith and maybe exploiting our weakness. No. Maybe we can think of it this way. There are a lot of people out there doing a lot of bad things. Things that might be equal to what Cardinal McCarrick did. And what I'm talking about here is grave, grave matter. In the world of cases of pedophilia, we know that there's a lot of CEOs out there, a lot of teachers out there that have abused their authority. But if you are a CEO or if you are a teacher, does that make you any less of a CEO or teacher? No. Hopefully, by the grace of God, you want to become a better CEO, a better teacher. Letting the world know that this can be done better. This can be done well. This can be done right. And so as Christians and as Catholics, we, we have to bear witness to that truth and abide in, in God's own holiness. To be holy, my friends, is simply to walk in the presence of God in all that you say and do. Abide in holiness. Walk in the presence of God. Accept all things that come your way. Because remember, <laughs> the word sacrifice, coming from the Latin sacrum fice, literally translates as to make holy. So if there's anything out there that is going to encourage more holiness, it is the call to sacrifice. And sometimes those sacrifices take on unanticipated shape and form. Sometimes it's a call to just put yourself out there and have the conversations you need to have with people, especially in the light of our subject matter this evening. We are called to sacrifice. You've heard me say before that the greatest sacrifice that we can make is the gift of what, but what we treasure most, our own time, right? Our own time. Isn't this what God sanctified in creation? 
He sanctified time. He made the Sabbath holy so as to make time holy. You see, and this is why the Mass is, is so important to what we do in our walk in holiness. So don't allow another person's lack of faith or weakness determine your faith or exploit your weakness. And again, to that bishop and priest who you know well and trust, that holy man who you feel you can trust, pray for him. Pray for him. We live in very, very strange times. Strange times that have become difficult for many of us. But do not let that darkness crowd out you who are called to be the great light. Because remember, the greater the darkness becomes, the greater our light shines. And the greater our light shines, the more you expose the lie for what it is and in turn the truth for what it is. You see, this is why as we talk about holiness, we should always too put it in the context of light. Because holiness does always shed light upon what is right from wrong, what is false from true. Amen? Amen. All right. I know we hit some important subject matter this evening, and I'm sure you have something to say about it, and I welcome your input. So please, as we wrap up our time together this evening, do not hesitate to send me an email so that we might continue this conversation either in person, over the phone, or, or on air here with your permission. And as always, you can reach me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to joelholcraft.org. Again, Holcraft spelled with two L's, H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T dot org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.